Hi there, welcome back to the Just a show. And we're having an excessive heat warning right now. It's 107 degrees here to stoned arid stoner on June 10th, Friday. Anyway, so let's hear what uh, Amber Turd is up to. Hey, Arizona. Looks like AZ on track summer camps offer masks. Looks like uh, and a little stampeding. In an in looks like so much she's spotted for a on a private jet. Who can't afford paying for charity because she was sued. <laughs> <laughs> the Aquaman Starlet emerged for the first time since being on the losing end of the Johnny Depp defamation trial, trading a private jet for a chauffeured car, and that must cost a lot of money, right? The actress popped up on Friday at an airfield in Washington, D.C., where she climbed down the stairs of her private plane and was ushered into a waiting her luxury SUV in front of paparazzi. I mean, so much for laying low and staying out of the spotlight to spend time with your baby. Amber's traveling party is at least four people, including her sister, Whitney Hendriquez. I guess she needs a punching bag. <laughs> hey, flights are stressful. We're told earlier in the day she'd been in NYC for meetings, but caught a flight from New Jersey to D.C. and then made the way back to Virginia. It's interesting to see Amber flying private. Remember, she's been ordered to pay Johnny $8.35 million USD, and her lawyer, Elaine Charlson Bredhoff, claims Amber can't afford to pay the judgment. For what it's worth... Amber's legal team has vowed they'll appeal the decision, but no word Probably on the Probably Elon Musk. Maybe... What makes you think that those are hers? Um, those are probably Elon Musk, since she, he's the father of her child. In fact, I'm going to write that. considering she has to post bail to do so. Amber was flying on the private jet with her infamous PR manager, David Shane, who was accused of SA by several women. 
One has to wonder why she needs a publicist if she has no work lined up. Hmm. <laughs> a spokesperson said she was spending quality time with her daughter post-trial, but apparently a man accused of S.A., you know, the same kind that she accused Johnny of, took precedence over her baby girl. She's probably just bored with the baby now and wants out. I mean, it was probably just used for sympathy reasons because she was going into court anyway, you know, like, feel sorry for me, I have a baby. Anyway, me and Gabby, we're just curious, who is paying for all this when she claims she can't pay Johnny Depp? <clears throat> Do you think it's Elon? Yeah. She thinks it's Elon, father for embryo. Yeah, dry surrogate. Sound off! In the comments below, and don't forget to subscribe by hitting my face right here. Please do it. Visit SweetWater.com for the widest selection of music gear at the best prices. Uh, Experience our award-winning customer service and see how we right. make buying music gear online easy and fast. Let's say um, yesterday was Johnny Johnny's birthday. Hmm. Dispersed attorney charge of defrauding Stormy Daniels. Tragic details found in Tom Petty's autopsy report. Tom Petty's widow Dana thinks her husband's untimely death in October of 2017 could have been prevented. Is she right? Keep watching for some answers revealed in Petty's autopsy report. Tom Petty was born in Florida in 1950. As a young boy, he idolized the Beatles and Elvis Presley and would soon learn how to play the guitar. In high school, he played bass guitar for a band, and at 17, he dropped out of school so that he could concentrate on pursuing a career in music. In 1974, Petty moved to Los Angeles with his band Mudcrutch in hopes of making it big. The whole stack of real tanks, and we drove to LA. However, the single that they launched didn't make an impact, and Mudcrutch broke up soon after. Despite that, the record label saw Petty's talent and gave him a contract. Together with his former Mudcrutch bandmates and two others, Petty formed Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. The band launched their debut album in 1976, and from there, they went on to release several hits. In addition to working with the band, Petty also had solo projects and collaborated with other musicians as well. In total, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers released 13 studio albums. Petty also released three albums as a solo artist. In September 2017, Tom Petty had just finished the 40th anniversary tour with the Heartbreakers. Shortly after it ended, TMZ reported that the musician was found unconscious in his home in Malibu. He was immediately rushed to the hospital, but remained unconscious. News sources said that he was on life support and in critical condition. He had a pulse, but according to the doctors who treated him, he no longer had brain activity. Petty was pulled off life support and died on October 2nd, 2017, at the age of 66. The rock icon was buried at the Self-Realization Fellowship Lake Shrine in Pacific Palisades. The ceremony took place with his family and a few of his closest friends in attendance. Petty had been suffering from a few health issues even before the tour started. As Rolling Stone reported, he had coronary artery disease and was on medication for emphysema, hip fracture, and knee problems. Despite his condition, he insisted on performing and completed 53 tour dates before his death. Petty's wife and daughter said in a statement, 
On the day he died, he was informed his hip had graduated to a full-on break, and it is our feeling that the pain was simply unbearable and was the cause for his overuse of medication. Tom Petty was open about his addiction to heroin. In a book titled Petty the Biography, author Warren Zanes shared how the musician started using the drug to cope after his divorce from his first wife. He attempted to quit, but it didn't work. In speaking about his battles with addiction, Petty told Zanes, It's an ugly thing. Months after his death, autopsy and toxicology reports were released, and they showed that Petty's official cause of death was multi-system organ failure caused by drug intoxication. According to the Connecticut-based addiction treatment center, Turnbull, there were several drugs in his system at the time of his death, including fentanyl and oxycodone. Most of these drugs were legally prescribed for Petty's pain, anxiety, depression, and insomnia. His family addressed his cause of death, saying, Many people who overdose begin with a legitimate injury or simply do not understand the potency and deadly nature of these medications. According to his wife Dana, Petty's death could have been prevented if he had gotten a hip replacement and canceled his tour. However, as the Los Angeles Times reported, he insisted on going forward as he didn't want to disappoint his fans or the people he worked with. Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers drummer Steve Ferroni shared how he witnessed Petty's struggles during the tour. He said that the frontman would take Oxycontin before the show to get through it, and would sometimes need help going to and from the stage. Ferroni went on to add, He was very loyal. He felt he had a lot of people relying on him, the band and the crew, to make a living. But there's not a person on that crew or in the band that wouldn't have given up that tour for him. If you or someone you know is struggling with addiction, please call the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Administration's 24-7 National Helpline at... 1-800. He was struggling with pain, not necessarily addiction. 662-HELP. That's 1-800-662-4357. 662-HELP. see what other cool stuff we can find here on uh, Google News. Start advertising. Grow your business with YouTube ads. Eight six two help. That's mental health. Ah. Okay, uh, this is a number for advertising on YouTube, 1-855-213-2086, okay, okay, what was your favorite performance by Tom Petty, all of the issues inside the body of art that Tom Petty leaves us is more than could accomplish in 10 lifetimes? Running down. A lie nobody's telling you about. Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. Abuse claims and the lies not talked about. Incredibly average. Hey, everyone, thanks for checking out my video. I really appreciate it. I put a lot of work into this, even if it doesn't show. This is actually my first time making the video. The first one was 45 minutes, but thankfully had some issues uploading and ended up being a blessing because it forced me to shrink it down. 
I'm gonna talk a little faster, not linger on information TMI. that is a key to my point, and try not to take too much of your time. I will go ahead and apologize for what I know will be subpar audio throughout. I don't have professional equipment, and there might be some outside noise interference, so TMI. please just bear with me, and let's get started. So there are some who would rather me not make a video at all about Johnny Depp or Amber Heard. After all, this whole mess started about two and a half years ago. And Johnny is currently suing the Sun magazine for calling him a wife beater, and we're getting new information at a regular pace. So I get it when people say it might not be advised to make this. But what if I told you this video doesn't have much to do with Johnny or Amber, and not the information that's been available all along, and yet may never get talked about, or into, or made public in any way? I'm making this video about someone else entirely, and the lies I believe they told. I'm talking about one of Amber's key witnesses. I'll kill it right. Oops. As a quick heads up, I do want to point out that I.O. is gender fluid and, to the best of my knowledge, currently uses the pronoun him and he, so I will be referring to him as such. Okay, so here we go. My tip here is to stick to facts and not rumors. I will make note if at any point I drift into even the slightest speculation, but I'll try to refrain. As we all know, in May of 2016, Amber Heard filed for divorce from Johnny Depp and days later publicly came forward with accusations of physical and emotional abuse occurring throughout their multi-year relationship. In an attempt to obtain a domestic violence restraining order only to be granted a temporary restraining order, Amber, along with two witnesses and longtime friends Isle Fillett Wright and Raquel Pennington, would all submit court-sworn declarations to support our claims. Within these declarations, mainly Anders, there are only three referenced alleged incidences of abuse at the hands of Johnny Depp. May 21st, 2016, April 21st, 2016, and an unspecified date in December 2015. I listed those in reverse chronological order because that's the order in which I will be primarily discussing them. Start with May 21st, 2016. This was the night Amber claims Johnny threw a phone at her face and pulled her hair and struck her repeatedly. I'm actually not going to spend much time on this night because I could make an entire video picking apart statements and declarations and facts and timelines that it would end up being its own video, which I might still do. Also, there is a ton of new information steadily coming to light about this. I just want to refer to this night to make a point. This alleged incident is the closest I.O. and Raquel claim to being actual witnesses to the alleged abuse as it was happening. In Raquel's declaration, she claims to have entered the condo after only to see Amber crying and Johnny yelling. As for the other moments of alleged abuse, Raquel only claims that Amber confided in her. That statement is very important, and I will be referring to it again. Kyle claims to have been on the phone with Amber and Johnny when the alleged abuse was happening, which makes him an ear witness, I guess. As for the other moments of alleged abuse, it should be noted that Io claims to have seen the aftermath of the abuse, not the abuse itself, on many occasions. He was playing this a number of times on different platforms. This is also very important because he is the only witness to date to claim to have seen any of the aftermath of the alleged abuse. Now let's move back to April 21st of 2016. This was the night of Amber's 30th birthday party. She claims a drunk and high Johnny Depp showed up late and then, when all the guests left, assaulted her and smashed everything he could on his way out. No witness claims to have seen any aftermath or injury. As many of you may recall, Johnny is currently suing the Sun magazine for calling him a wife beater, and with that, new information and his claims of what happened are becoming more public knowledge. A few short months ago, his version of this night was released. He claims to have showed up late, and when he was reading in bed, an angry and hurt punched him twice in the face before he grabbed her to stop her, and then pushed her away and onto the bed before telling her he is leaving and not to follow him, not smashing anything on his way out. 
He also claims that sometime after he left, Amber pooped on their bed as it was discovered by the maid the following day. Johnny also claims to have strong photographical evidence tying her and her friends to the incident. Amber says it was her teacup Yorkie's poop. Now just a sidestep a second. Even if she's telling the truth about poop, it takes a lot of gross entitlement to know your dog pooped from the bed and you still leave it for the maid to clean up while you and your friends take off to Coachella for the weekend. It was shortly after this claim that Io did something that essentially motivated me to make this video and share the information I've been sitting on for a while. For so long I considered putting this out there, but would think it's not my place, or just let things happen. It'll work out. But then he did this. Soon after the story about the alleged poop started making the rounds on media outlets, Io sent out a short tweet. Poopgate. This was in response to nobody, he just tweeted it out, clearly as a jab at the claims made by John. Now, was it uncommon for people to make jokes about it at a high time expense? No, but at the very least, I found it in 4K to openly mock the claim when you are a key witness for the other party. I guess it's okay to mock it, but not for others to question you about it. Basically, this invited people online to ask about IO's participation in the alleged pooping. This seemed to make IO pretty kicked off. He would go on a string of posts and replies, cussing, belittling, name-calling, and finally posting this in response to someone. Quick note, you may notice I've blocked out the username. This will be a running theme. I won't show names or faces of anyone non-pivotal in proving my point. After the post, Io claims that he couldn't have participated because he says he wasn't even in L.A. when Poop did allegedly happen. He says he was in New York and goes on to say that it's a fact. Did Amber call him? Yes. She allegedly called Io while he was in New York on May 21st, so Io could help ease Johnny's mind about it. But Johnny is claiming Poopgate occurred after he left on April 21st. Also, when you say something is a fact, you should probably make sure it's not easily debunked first just because you want so desperately to be right and stick your nose up at people. So let's do some digging and see if we can find out where Io was on April 21st. Here we have a post from April 12, 2016. I'm going to be showing a number of posts during this video, primarily to focus on the location tags of Instagram. This will help demonstrate how accurate they are and which ones need more information to confirm. Quick note, locations are one of the only aspects of Instagram that can be changed. Child abduction. Jessica Jones, angular, 18-year-old black female, 5'5", the son of Jesus Xavier Jones, 19 year old black male, 5'11. Last seen near 
Speaking of April 25th, this post is promoting the shot from a film I always aim called Holy New York. Just making a quick note of the location tag, Los Angeles, California, before moving on to the last post in this series from Southern Cal on April 26th, in which he is flying out of LAX with the proper location tag. Showing indeed that he had spent the last several days in California before flying back to New York to prepare for a speech or appearance in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. As I said before, I could argue that this could mean I.O. was in L.A. to celebrate Amber's birthday party with her on April 21st, even though he says it's a fact that he was in New York. We know that these Instagram posts are fairly accurate, given all the pieced together outside information, so I would assume you would argue that he could have easily flown into L.A. on April 22nd to go to Joshua Tree, having been in New York just two days earlier. Well, here's where that argument hits a big snag. That's because this is the original post. I took this screenshot weeks, if not months, before I.O. made the claim on social media that he wasn't in L.A. at the time. You might notice a couple of differences. One being the layout, this screenshot was taken on a mobile device and the location tag is placed above the photo. The other and most important difference is the location tag. Remember when I said you can't change the date on an Instagram post but you can change the location? You see, after I all went on his impulsive rant about not being in LA, he decided to then go back and change his location tag so it looks like he actually was in New York. Oddly enough, there's also this post on April 21st, the day I all claims he wasn't even in LA. It is a tribute to Prince after his passing. It, too, has the location tag of Los Angeles. Now, why doesn't this look familiar? Uh, uh. Oh, yeah, that's it, because it's deleted. You see, I.O. not only took it upon himself to change the location tag of the post occurring the day before he claimed he wasn't in L.A., but to also completely delete a post placing him in L.A. the day of. Which begs the question, why? If you knew you were in L.A., and let's face it, you were when the alleged food gate happened, why not just deny having anything to do with it instead of feeling the need to place yourself on the other side of the country just to put as much distance between you and the accusations as possible? Also, if you weren't present when it allegedly happened, why did Amber call you to help her deny it if you weren't there and knew nothing of it? It would make sense that she would call someone that was actually there at the time, unless one or both of these things are true. One, you were there when it happened, and or two, that's not why Amber called you the night of May 21st. And if everyone thinks this is good, you ain't seen nothing yet. It's one thing to lie on social media. It's something completely different to lie for a sworn declaration. This is exactly what I believe I.O. has done. As you recall, when Amber attempted to gain a DVRO against Johnny, she, along with I.O. and Arkell, would each submit a court sworn declaration. Amber and Raquel submitting theirs on the day of the initial request for the DVRO, which was May 27, 2016. I.O. would not submit his until June 13th. As a quick reminder, Amber would be the only one of the three to reference other dates within her written declaration. May 21st, 2016, April 21st, 2016, and an unspecified date in December of 2015. Raquel's statement would only detail the allegations on the night of May 21st, as would I.O., but with much less detail. That's because five days prior to submitting his declaration, I.O. would publish a self-written article on Refinery29's website on June 8th. This article would be attached to his declaration and give a little more information as to why he called 911 that night and also go into more detail about his involvement during the still unspecified date of the December 2015 incident. We'll get back to the Refinery article in a moment. I want to point out that this wouldn't be the first and only platform I.O. would use to claim he witnessed the aftermath of abuse on many occasions. There are tweets, and then this article, 
published on June 1st on page 6 with an exclusive interview given to the Post by a pal of Amber's that also depicts the aftermath of the December incident. I could use this article to further pick apart Amber's declaration, but I'll stay on point. We can safely assume this interview was given by I.O. The first reason being how much the quotes and wording match up with his tweets and the self-written refinery article. Also, remember, of Amber's witnesses, I.O. is the only one to claim to see Aftermath on multiple occasions. And lastly, Raquel lived in the building, just down the hall from Johnny and Amber's condo, meaning if Amber contacted the friend during the attack, I would imagine Raquel would have referenced it in her declaration and would have been able to arrive at the condo within seconds witnessing more than just Aftermath. But, oddly enough, to my knowledge, Raquel has never mentioned this alleged incident. I want to focus on this paragraph quickly. It states her text the woman during the attack and a friend rushed to the couple's LA pad. A couple of things. I want to note that even if I.O. identified as a male at the time, many publications still refer to him as a woman. Also, I want everyone to pay attention that this states that the person, all signs point to being I.O., rushed to the LA pad immediately after being contacted. Now let's jump back to the refinery article and talk about a few statements to further show this. Shortly into the article, I.O. begins to detail the undated December incident. He would detail going to their place after seeing a bloody pillow, pumps of hair on the floor, and a busted lip, very much as he did previously on Twitter and in the interview to the Post. He would go on to say he got the phone call immediately after, with Amber screaming and crying, which is why he went over. Just a quick side-by-side -side comparison, I know some will point out that during the Post interview, it states that the friend received a text, and I.O. claims in his article that he received a phone call. Short explanation and speculation, and make of this what you will, text messages can be ordered by the courts and printed out by the phone company. If the phone calls only have call logs and no way of checking to see what was actually said during the conversation, unlike text messages. But I digress. Later in the article, he would depict further witnessing Amber shaking and crying as she described Johnny putting his entire weight into headbutting her in the nose. He would then describe sitting and listening to Amber as she further described the still undated December incident with grueling detail with what allegedly left her with a missing punch of hair, busted lip, and nearly broken nose. This alleged incident being what crossed the line with I.O. as he would not be silent next time. I suppose the next time on his calendar from May 21st, 2016 when he called 911 on Amber's behalf. The thing about this alleged assault is that, one, nobody except Amber and I.O. reference it at all, and two, a date was never given for this and has still, to this day, not been specified. I have my theories as to why this is, but let's just try to figure out that date, shall we? That's actually pretty easy to do. A bit later in the article, I.O. would write, I watched a woman with a broken spirit go on national television the next night. He would go on to say covered in makeup, smiling through a busted lip, and nearly jumping out of her seat when someone casually touched her shoulder. Now, I could spend another segment on this, but don't want to take up too much of your time. If anyone wants to see that, let me know. What's important here is the initial statement of watching Amber go on national television the next night. This would make it a nighttime, somewhat live television show. I.O. is referring to Amber's appearance on the James Corden show on December 16, 2015. How do we know this night was December 16th? Well, you could easily Google it, but for the sake of argument, I will give a little more proof. Here's a piece about the show from Wikipedia. I've highlighted the important parts. It states how beginning the week of May 25th, 2015, the show scaled back production to four first-run episodes per week, with Friday's episode being a rebroadcast or rerun.
meaning they only shot an aired episode on Monday through Thursday. These episodes usually were shot during mid to late afternoon hours and aired that same night. Here we have a short portion of the episodes list. As you can see at the bottom of the list is December 10th, this being a Thursday which meant with no new episode shooting or airing on Friday, the following week's episode would pick up on Monday, December 14th. I highlighted Amber's episode which shot and aired on Wednesday of that week, December 16th, 2015. Now why is this date so important? Because remember, this was the day after Iowa went to Johnny and Amber's place to see the aftermath and be there for her following the alleged incident that made her fear for her life. A date no one will specify for some reason. That day, of course, we now know to be December 15th, 2015. Which should lead everyone to the next question. Why is this date not specified? Well, allow me to go on a bit of a tangent, if I may, before I continue on point. This will be the most speculation or insinuation you'll get from me during this video, so you've been warned. On December 15, 2015, Amber and Johnny were spotted that evening leaving the Ago restaurant in LA. From these pictures, you can see that Johnny is wearing a low-setting hat with dark, wide-covering sunglasses. Amber can be seen as fairly fresh-faced, with what seems like minimal makeup and clearly no busted lip near broken nose or clumps of hair missing. We can only assume this was earlier in the evening before the alleged life-bearing beating later that night and before going to shoot the James Corden show the following afternoon. Knowing that the alleged worst beating of her life came less than 24 hours from arriving at the James Corden show is also important. You see, Amber would be photographed and or put on video a number of times following the incident. None of these moments seemingly showing any physical signs of the devastating injury she claims to have received. First, there's the show appearance the following day. I want to point out that the hair and makeup artist used the same selfie taken on the show for their own Instagram post. I also want to point out that neither of these individuals were ever mentioned by Amber nor placed on her witness list. I find that interesting because they would each be able to vouch for the clumps of hair missing and also the busted lip, near broken nose, and other horrifying facial injuries. This is doubly interesting because the makeup artist still works with Amber to this day and is a longtime friend, even going to Coachella with her and the gang after the alleged abuse and fruitcake incident in April of 2016. The next public outing would be on December 20th. Here she is spotted with Raquel doing some shopping at the Melrose and Fairfax flea market. She even took the time to take a close-up selfie with someone I assume is a fan. Not the best quality picture here, but again, no signs of visible injury. Moving on to this series of shots, these were taken on Johnny's private island by mutual friends who happen to be a photographer and a designer. I won't go into all the details about how I figured it out, but these were taken between the dates of December 27th and December 31st of 2015, a short two weeks after having her hair ripped out and face smashed with a full body weight headbutt. I only keep repeating that to emphasize the lack of visible injury, and note that some of these posts make sure to point out that she is fresh faced and makeup free. Johnny, however, would not be publicly photographed or videoed until the couple showed up together on the red carpet at the Palm Springs Film Festival on January 2nd, 2016. Amber still showing no sign of injury, albeit with heavy makeup, and Johnny, no longer wearing a hat or glasses like we last saw him in December, but still, in my opinion, looking a bit worse for wear. So now I quickly want to go back to December 15th. I find it odd that of all the items on Amber's submitted exhibit list, there are no pictures listed depicting a date in December. Most of her exhibits center around the May 21st incident. But do you want to know whose exhibit list does have pictures of themselves on December 15th? Johnny Depp. And he would not be photographed again for almost three weeks, still looking somewhat worked over, again, in my opinion. I think everyone knows what I'm insinuating. 
it is my opinion, and only my opinion, that Johnny was not the one who flew off the handle that night in December. I think it very well could have been the other way around. Here's a fun side note. Remember the dog smuggling drama in Australia when Amber lied on paperwork when bringing her dog illegally into the country while visiting Jeff on the set of the fifth Pirates film? Did you know that December 15, 2015 was the day it was reported that Amber would not be getting away scot-free and would indeed have to show up for an assigned court date in Australia, facing possible jail time and facing it alone as Johnny was not implicated nor did he have to go to court over it? Now who do you think was having a bad day on December 15th? That's the kind of news that could potentially cause a person to throw a rage-filled fit. But anyway, let's get back on track. We now have a date for the alleged December beating that Amber received at the hands and head of Johnny Depp. Through pictures, interviews, declarations, and articles, we know that date to be December 15, 2015. We also know through that information that I.O. claims to have gone to check on Amber and comfort her that day slash evening. What if I told you that I.O. didn't go to Amber's condo on December 15th like he has claimed a number of times? What if I told you he wasn't in L.A. or even California at all that day, but nearly on the other side of the country, roughly 2,000 miles away, all the way over here? As you may or may not be aware of, at the time, I.O. was working for MTV on a show called Suspect. It has eight episodes listed and lasted one season. This was somewhat of a spinoff of the popular show Catfish, even utilizing many of the same crew, from the show and shooting both during the same time frame as Io also co-hosted Suspect with the host of Catfish, Neve. The show shot primarily during the fall and winter months of 2015, and Io, as he commonly did at the time, did a wonderful job of documenting all of the cities he traveled to during that time. From Akron to Indianapolis, Detroit and Phoenix, Denver and Aurora, Colorado, from Vegas to Houston. But of all the cities tagged and traveled to, there is one I'm most interested in. Cincinnati, Ohio. That's right, I all posted from Cincinnati on not one, but two dates. Those being, you guessed it, December 15th and a bonus, December 16th. Now, if these location tags on these posts are correct, then there is quite the problem brewing. That would mean I.O. wasn't even nearby to go to Amber's condo the night the alleged life-threatening abuse occurred, and he claimed to have witnessed the aftermath the day before Amber went on the James Corden show. Those dates we now know to be December 15th and 16th. These location tags alone prove I.O.'s geographical location. No, unfortunately they do not, but before anyone says this just became a dead end, buckle up. It's going to be a heck of a ride. Let's start with what we need to do my point. We need to determine when, both exact month and date, these posts and pictures were actually taken and posted, where they were taken and posted, and what I.O. was doing there as further confirmation. To do this, as I have for most of the video, I'll be working my way backwards through these points, so to start, let's begin with what I.O. was doing in Cincinnati. As previously stated, at the time, I.O. was working on a show for MTV called Suspect, and he did a great job of documenting several cities it took him to. Can you guess where one particular episode shot? Cincinnati. Episode 5 is the exact. That is a really simple way to show what I.O. would have been doing in Cincinnati, but still doesn't give us a month or a date, but be patient. We'll get there. Next, we have to determine where these pictures were taken and where they were posted from. Let's start with this one on December 15th. The caption reads, This incredible piece says everything I want to say to young artists. Piece by Jasmine K. Yui. I sincerely apologize for probably mispronouncing that name. I'm sure those who would argue on behalf of I.O. would say, So maybe this just means he took a picture and was posting a throwback to it and wanted to make sure it was tied from the correct location of the piece. That's all well and good, and the exact response I would expect from someone who really doesn't want him to be lying about where he was and when he was there, until you see this. 
the original Facebook post of the picture and piece. A few things to point out here. First, the date of the post being October 18th, 2015, next to the picture itself. This is the exact same picture I.O. posted. Every detail about it the same. If you Google artist pointless without passion, this is the picture you would get, copied on the countless posts and articles. I.O. simply saved the photo from online and posted it himself. Finally, we get to the location, Austin, Texas, with lower description giving credit to the same artist and location at the University of Texas at Austin's Department of Art and Art History. Now you can pause it here and read the whole thing, but I'm going to skip to the last sentence where it says this project is meant to be a short-term investigative project that is to stay within the confines of the University of Texas at Austin. So here's where a little common sense comes into play. Why would you post a picture that you did not take from Austin, Texas and tag it in Cincinnati, Ohio if you were not indeed in Cincinnati? But for more about the when and the where of this post, we'll have to come back to it. Moving on to December 16th, we have this post with the caption, Call me whatever you want, just don't call me an it. This one is much easier to determine the location of. He is clearly posing in front of what is a much larger piece. And here it is. Sing the Queen City. Dedicated on September 22nd, 2015. As you can clearly see, the buildings match up in the background. This is in front of the National Underground Railroad Freedom Center in Cincinnati, Ohio. I know there are some who would argue this still doesn't prove they were posted while I.O. was in Cincinnati. He could have clearly been throwing back to it. Well, here is where I will happily oblige and shoot that down as well. Remember when I said an episode of Suspect shot in Cincinnati? We can actually determine when it was. It just takes a bit more digging, so hang in there. When a crew is shooting any show on location, many times they try to be nondescript about when it is. I mean, sure, you can tell what season it may be, in this case winter, with no leaves on the trees and gray skies, but on many occasions they try to avoid showing precise dates or months. I think overall they did a great job with this show when it comes to that, but there are still these. We have a number of leading quick shots in the background of the Cincinnati episode that make it seem like everyone is gearing up for Christmas. There are wreaths on street side columns and hanging over streets, and Christmas lights on porches going by in the background and in windows and on light posts along the streets. All signs here point to December. The episodes are made up of two separate stories or mysteries and take place at different cities, with each story usually filmed over the course of two days. As we look at the episode description, it says that Anthony is looking for his missing motocross buddy Dustin, and the other story being Brendan suspects his boyfriend Jamar may be stepping out on the relationship. The first story of this episode with Anthony and Dustin was shot in San Diego after this one with Brendan and Jamar, but as you can see, they have flipped it in editing with this one being on the second half. That, I believe, is because this was the more compelling story, and you want to lead up to the better of the two mysteries. In the episode itself, we'll start with this shot. This was day one of a two-day shoot in Cincinnati, and the date, I believe, to be December 15, 2015. In it, we had Brendan on the far right, with co-host Neve and I on the middle, and a friend whom they are questioning about Jamar's recent behavior and possible infidelity. Spoiler alert. Next, we have this one from later that evening. Here we have Brendan, Neve, and I.O. at Jamar's house confronting him before seeking resolution the following day. Again, this being the day Amber alleged Johnny beat her so badly she feared for her life, and that I.O. claimed to be there afterwards as well. And here we have the next day. Shut up! I.O., Brendan, and Neve are on their way to see Jamar. Here they are in his house. Again, this is the day I believe to be December 16th, the day Amber appeared on the James Gordon show, and the day after I.O. witnessed the aftermath and saw Amber go on national television. The next night. In this one, I want everyone to focus on what I.O. is wearing. Let's go head to toe. The hair, short on the sides, blonde, brushed back and to the side. Glasses, a reddish colored flannel shirt, slightly faded jeans at the knees, rolled up at the ankles, and black lace-up boots with brown trim around the bottom. 
This is the day I believe to be December 16th, the day after Isle claims to have went to Amber's condo and witnessed the aftermath of an alleged beating. Now let's compare that to his second Instagram post tagged in Cincinnati on December 16th. You should notice quite a few similarities. First, the hair, same style and color. Glasses that could be different or possibly transition lenses. Now wearing a jacket, but still with the red colored flannel shirt, the slightly faded jeans and the laced up boots with the brown trim. But I'm still having doubts about the exact dates of these shots, allow me to dive a little deeper. Here we have a post from the Instagram of Isles co-host Neve. As you can see, this is a picture from what looks to be a hotel with some of the good catfish, and as you can recall, often the same as suspect. Like always, I've blocked out names and faces, save for one. Sound guy. Our sound guy has a name, but I blocked that out as well. What's important is what I found on our sound guy's Instagram. Somewhat of a smoking gun when it comes to locking these dates and locations in. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you our smoking gun. Yes, I realize it's a big purple Sasquatch toy, but notice the date and the caption. December 15, 2015, and it reads on set security, meaning he was working on one of the shows on December 15, but how do we know which one and where without a location tag? Easy. Remember when I was talking about trying to keep things in the background hidden and nondescript? Well, I'm a sucker for Easter eggs, and this is a pretty big one. As you may recall, I showed you an episode screenshot from day one of the two-day shoot in Cincinnati. The day I believe to be December 15th, and wouldn't you know it, look what's just hanging out under a grill in the background of a shot with I.O. in it. How about that? To go a step further, our sound guy posted on December 16th as well, from Lookout Joe's Mount Lookout Coffee Roasters. Want to take a guess at where that is? You got it. Cincinnati. What we've sought out to do is pinpoint the date in December 2015 that Amber and I.O. would not specify. The date Io claims to have witnessed the aftermath in which Amber was allegedly beaten to the point that she had a busted and swollen lip, black eyes, a nearly broken nose, and clumps of hair missing, and was almost suffocated with a pillow at the hands of Johnny Depp in Los Angeles, California. This date we now know to be December 15th. Io goes on to claim that after seeing this aftermath, he would watch Amber go on national TV the next night. That date we now know to be her James Gordon appearance on December 16th. But on those dates, we have Io posting a picture taken from a post about an art piece in Austin, but with a location tag placing him in Cincinnati, and then posting the next day in front of a sign in Cincinnati with a matching location tag, all while shooting an episode of an MTV show over the course of those two days, wearing the exact same outfit in the episode as one of the Cincinnati posts, and finally, with a sound guy from the show posting from Cincinnati on the exact same days, on the first day, even posting pictures of items in the background of a shot I.O. was in on that day. Now, either that is one heck of a coincidence, or somebody is telling one heck of a lie. I do want to quickly cover the other part of the episode to further prove the accuracy of these location tags and help wrap this up. Remember I said that they filmed the parts of this back-to-back -back and put them in editing. Here we have I.O.'s next chronological Instagram post with the caption, have I mentioned I love my job? Dated on December 18th with the location of Color Raceway near San Diego. We'll make brief comparisons in a moment, but I want to make a small bit of speculation. I would venture a guess that, at best, I owe Neve and the crew flew back to LA later on December 16th or 17th to make the nearly two-hour drive towards San Diego to prep for the next couple of days of shooting. This most likely being on the 17th to give a day of travel and prep work between the cities. Also, we have our sound guy posting on December 17th at LAX, presumably having landed, and as you can see by the sign at the top of the photo, waiting on long-distance vans for the road trip to San Diego. So, even if one were to argue that Io could have seen the aftermath on the 16th and not the 15th, it just doesn't match up, having stated to have seen it, and then the next night seeing Amber on the James Corden show on the 16th. 
Also, with Gordon's show shooting in the mid-afternoon hours, Angel would have had to have been there much earlier for prep, all while I.O. would have still been in Cincinnati on the 16th, or at the very least, not quite back to L.A., but back to the post. We'll just do the quick wardrobe comparison, head to toe again. Hair, same as previous post, glasses, which I'm not certain of transition lenses, black jacket, white pants with what looks like a notepad in the back pocket, and shoes with a funky artistic design, all while setting on a red and white motocross bike. Now here I've compiled a few shots from the episode. Notice the outfit is the same. In one shot you can see the notebook in the back pocket and the motocross bike he is on is the same one. Also in the episode they say this is Kyler Raceway. Next we have a post from the next day, December 19th. The location tag is the San Diego 5 freeway which runs north and south between LA and San Diego. With the caption reading, it's been a glorious life on the road, we're almost done filming a full season of this new show, and it's Christmas time. Heading home for a few days of R&R, finally. Now the one thing that really grabs me about this is that last sentence, heading home for a few days of R&R, finally. This seems to be conveying the idea that Io hasn't been home to LA for some time and definitely not for any extended amount of time, maybe not even long enough to go see Amber during that time. I believe that because of this, on arriving back in LA on December 19th, that it was the earliest Io could have seen Amber following the alleged life-threatening abuse. Io wouldn't post again until December 21st from Joshua Tree, California, but that doesn't mean we don't know where he was between those days. On December 20th, we have a post from a mutual friend of Arkell, Amber, and Io. It has the location tag of the Eastern Columbia building. Now, for those of you who don't know, this was the building in which Johnny on the penthouse's Amber demanded in her letter to his lawyer while threatening to go public with her accusations. Io lived here in the penthouses for a brief time before this, and Raquel at this point still did. As a matter of fact, I know enough about these penthouses to know that this is Raquel's in the photo. Also, keep in mind this is the same day that Amber and Raquel were spotted out earlier shopping at the flea market. Everyone seems to be in good spirits considering Amber was allegedly nearly killed days earlier. Thank goodness abusers aren't really known for keeping you separated from your friends and loved ones. Oh wait. So I guess that about wraps it up. I want to close with just a few comments. It is my opinion and belief that on not one but two occasions one of Amber's key witnesses was willing to lie to make Amber's claims more believable. Once about the April 21st, 2016 alleged abuse in Poopgate incident, saying he was on the other side of the country when he was actually right there in LA, and also during the alleged December 2015 incident, in a sworn declaration claiming to be in LA when he was actually on the other side of the country. Now I don't claim to know why I believe he lied. Whether it was bitterness toward Johnny, affection, and feelings toward Amber, or just being a conspiracy theorist, always wanting there to be more than what's on the surface and wanting to be the one who sees it and exposes it. Oddly enough, working on a show that uncovers secrets all while never having his exposed. I don't know his motivations. All I know is I believe he did lie. And if he is willing to lie about where he was and when he was there, in moments that something as serious as abuse allegedly occurred, then what else is he willing to lie about? And who else has been willing to lie for her? Thanks so much again everyone for checking out my video. I know it was long, but I hope it was informative. I really hope you got something out of it. Nice again, research, man.
I remember your video. Are you still there? Let's see if you're still there. Yes, you are. Hi there. Welcome back to the Christopher Governator Show. And thanks for 5,000 plus subscribers, listeners across social media. And uh, shout out to KAMP at the U of A Student Radio and also KPYT YOMA at the Pasquayaki Tribal Reservation. Okay, let's see these comments here. I remember your videos from back when nobody was talking about the shit. I watched all of them and was baffled that you were the only one who cared. I'm glad to see that Johnny hopefully will get some justice now. Your videos are still very important for this case and for people to understand how nuts all this was. And you made them back when everybody thought Johnny was a bad guy. I have nothing but respect for you. The fact that Io hopped onto your D into your DMs to tell you off is proof that this struck a nerve. Obviously, you're onto something important. I'm a lawyer, and I'm so impressed by your investigative skills. Dude, you were three years ahead of everyone. So much love, man. He should be arrested for perjury. Your version is clever and deeply researched. You are smart. I didn't buy into any of this from the moment it happened. The police sold me. I mean, they show up to what is allegedly a domestic disturbance, and they see no marks on her that indicate anything physical, so they leave. And she shows up to the court and has a mark on her face. Nope. Having been in an actually abusive relationship, I'm aware of how the police handle these kinds of scenarios. And believe me, they do, they do look for even red marks. Biggest takeaway I get, Johnny hasn't changed any of his story once, yet Amber's story gets bigger and crazier every time she speaks. This is beyond gratifying to see the logical, visual proof that so clearly debunks the vicious lies that deranged squat leveraged against Johnny. Most people could tell her claims were BS, but being able to see lies get dismantled bit by bit is an actual adrenaline rush. You're absolutely brilliant. I thank you for your efforts. This is just a despicable person. I didn't start following this case until last week after seeing JD in press for decades. Yes, he has a history of substance abuse. Yes, he is quirky, but he has always been described as a gentle old soul by others. No one has ever described him as violent. I never put weight in her allegations, but I hadn't realized what he had lost. All she had to do was cash her check and live a good life. Instead, she chose to break the NDA and heap lie upon lie. She never expected JD to fight back. He would just cow in a corner. Wrong, once it adversely affected his children, she stood up to be heard. She's a terrible human being. I worry for her daughter, even with nannies, that child would be in danger. Your post expresses my feelings about the case. He's never been, uh... I'm in tears watching this. I knew JD was innocent. Every, everything an abuser does, JD has done the opposite. If I was to explain what I've been through in my life, people wouldn't believe me, and that's understandable. Sometimes I have to stop and wonder how I'm still here. Thankfully, police officers were actually there often to witness events, and they just couldn't believe the state I was in. It took weeks to heal, and no amount of makeup could hide shit. In fact, you couldn't even put makeup on top of injuries. I'm disabled, as was my little son at the time, and yes, he witnessed horrors, even trying to save me. And then he was turned on at 15. Then he was turned on. At 15 years old, I became a rape survivor. I didn't think life could get worse, but it can. I cannot believe this woman could stoop so low as to claim such events as a bottle. Jesus, you would require hospital attention, and you wouldn't be ballet dancing three days later. You would still be healing from the internal bruises and walking holding your breath with pain. 
The horror of the damage she is doing to real victims is unbearable. The fact her team is allowing this shit to go on means they truly don't give a fuck about real victims. They just want money. No one is ever, ever going to take another woman they defend seriously after this because how could they trust an organization that's willing to blatantly support liars to forward the cause at any like God bless JD, keep him safe from these vipers. Thank you for everything you've done to support him and bring his truths to light. This had me fuming three years ago, and I've been following this case ever since. I came back to review this beautifully arranged compilation of its facts. You are an angel for Johnny Depp. Your work inspires me to defend his name. It's admirable and heroic in my eyes. Thank you for standing up for the falsely accusing victims everywhere. I hope Scamber gets what's coming to her because the implication of what she has done to the credibility of the real victims of abuse is abhorrent. She deserves to be held responsible for the damage she's done to countless innocent lives. Hey, shut up. Fucking A. Noisy bitches. He's not only suing Sun Magazine for defamation, but also his ex-wife right now. He's had enough. It seems that he's fighting back. Finally, we are with you, Johnny Depp. Okay. Thumbs up by Incredibly Average. The Life of Denny, Johnny Depp. Happy birthday to Johnny Depp, whatever, what the fuck happened to Johnny Depp? Adam Depp. Just about to chuck this girl. I want to chuck you out of there in a minute. That's probably why you're being so noisy. Amber Heard supporter misrepresented information to lawyers and defamation trial. New look plastic surgery analysis. She doesn't look good. She looks like puffy and ugly. LGBTQ community furious Amber Heard stop speaking for us. Popcorn Planet. This is Kevin Spacey. Jane Deppinan and Blue Spence Anatomy of a Lie. Two years ago. Celebrities react. This is Viral Vision. Celebrities react to Johnny Depp. Winning courts. Winning courts. Uh, is between Johnny Depp and Amber Heard finally came to a close on Wednesday. Finally. The verdict was definitely one that got people talking. Why? Because many wondered if Johnny Depp had any chance of winning, and when the verdict was read, he did indeed win, and win big. He was awarded $15 million for the acts of defamation that Amber Heard put against him, while Amber Heard only got $2 million for what one of his former lawyers said about her. Pretty telling, wouldn't you say? And now that the court case is over, a lot of celebrities have come forward to talk about what was said by the jury. We'll break it down for you, but before we do that, go ahead and do us a favor by leaving a like on the video, subscribing to the channel, and hitting the bell icon so you never miss an upload from us. And with that being said, let's get straight into the video. Do you want to win an iPhone 12? Maybe a MacBook Pro? How about $500 cash? All you have to do is comment the secret hidden message somewhere in this video. That's it. Shut up. Jesus Christ.
Step liars make a step. erupted in cheers as his lawyers, Ben Chu and Camille Vasquez, exited the courthouse and gave a brief statement on the victory that their client had gotten. Hi, everyone. Today's verdict confirms what we have said from the beginning, that the claims against Johnny Depp are defamatory and unsupported by any evidence. Today's verdict confirms what we have said from the beginning, that the claims against Johnny Depp are defamatory and unsupported by any evidence, Camille Vasquez said. We're grateful, so grateful to the jury for their careful deliberation. The judge and the court staff who have devoted an enormous amount of time and resources towards this case. We are grateful, so grateful to the jury. Hey, yo, what happened? Fuck. God damn it. For their careful deliberation to the judge and the court staff who have devoted an enormous amount of time and resources towards this case. Our judicial system is predicated on each person's right to have his or her case heard. To follow it up with the following, our judicial system is predicated on each person's right to have his or her case heard. We were honored, truly honored, to assist Mr. Depp in ensuring that his case was fairly considered throughout the trial, Chu said. We are also most pleased that the trial has resonated for so many people in the public who value truth and justice. Now that the jury has reached its conclusive verdict, it's time to turn the page and look to the future. What the future holds is still up in the air in regards to death. And we were honored, truly honored, to assist Mr. Depp in ensuring that his case was fairly considered throughout the trial. We are also most pleased that the trial has resonated for so many people in the public who value truth and justice. But for now, let's go on to how celebs talk about the verdict. Number three, celebrity reactions. Following the jury verdict, many celebs took to their own social media and other platforms to weigh in on the ruling. I'm deeply happy that the truth has come out. Cheryl and Ben told Fox News Digital in a statement, It is justice for the attack on John Christopher's life. Let the healing begin. Cheryl included a red heart emoji in her response. Sharon Osbourne also reacted in real time to the verdict while making an appearance on Piers Morgan's talk TV show, telling the host she didn't expect the outcome in her wildest dreams. Wow, it wasn't what I was expecting, the Austin talk show star said. I mean, I wanted Johnny to win, but I didn't expect him to. Now that the jury has reached its conclusive verdict, it's time to turn the page and look to the future. Thank you all so much, thank and thanks you. to the jury. Thank you so much. Singer Jordan Pruitt, who has been a stout supporter of Depp during the ordeal, simply tweeted, hashtag truth wins, adding, hashtag Johnny Depp. Model Naomi Campbell left red heart emojis on Depp's social media statement, posted to Instagram, as did actress Ashley Benson. Professional video game player Ninja tweeted, damn, cannot wait for Amber Heard to pledge the $15 million she now owes Depp. That was in response to the pledge in the millions that Heard said she did not give to the American Civil Liberties Union, ACLU, yet, after saying she would be donating to the organization. This was a big point of contention in the case, and many agree that Amber Heard didn't come off looking great in it for various reasons. How did she handle it? You know, one of the first things she said is, I am so sorry to all those women out there. This is a setback for all women in and outside the courtroom. And I, she feels she feels the burden of that. Meanwhile, 
fans appeared to think Amy Schumer seemingly stood with her when she took to Instagram on Wednesday to type out a quote from Gloria Steinman. Any woman who chooses to behave like a full human being should be warned that the armies of the status quo will treat her as... It's not Gloria Steinman, it's Gloria Steinem. Any woman chooses to behave like a full human being should be warned that the armies of the status quo will trade her or something of a dirty joke. She will need her sister.